Hi there, and welcome to this ski podcast special, an interview with Martin Bell, the downhill ski racer for Great Britain in the 80s and 90s. In this interview, we chat about his family, his brother Graham Bell, who also raced on the circuit, and his daughter Reese, who's currently racing slalom for Team GB. We talk about how he learned at an early age to ski in Scotland and went out to Austria at only 14 before joining the World Cup circuit. Uh, he also raced at four Winter Olympics. We have a chat about Calgary, where his eighth is still the best by a male British skier. We also talk about his appearance on Wogan in the build-up to uh, those games in 1988. So sit back and enjoy. I'm delighted to welcome Martin Bell to the Ski Podcast today. I'm sure many of our listeners will know Martin. He uh, raced for Great Britain in the 80s and 90s, and his racing career took in four Winter Olympics, uh, 160 World Cup races, uh, including seven top 10 finishes, and his eighth at Calgary in 1988 remains the best placing by a British male skier at the Olympics. So hi, Martin. Welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Very well, thanks. Uh, Healthy. So far, so good. Excellent. And where are you? Uh, I'm in, actually, I live in a town called Eagle, which is near Vail, Colorado. Okay, uh, so how is the snow this season? I take it you've been out on the uh, slopes, have you? Uh, oh, yes, uh, right since the uh, early days of November, in fact. Uh, it's been a sort of average season snow-wise, uh, maybe a little below average, but uh, pretty decent, pretty decent. Okay, and what kind of, what's the sort of COVID situation in Colorado in Vale? Do you need to wear masks are there limit limits on lift pass sales or anything are the restaurants open uh they limit the lift pass sales although numbers are quite high and we have had some queues uh you have to have your mask on in the queue and in fact at any time when you're kind of around the base area and even in the village uh there is a mask mandate in the village the mountain restaurants are open by reservation only uh, and much reduced capacity the tables are spread out. I've actually been there a couple of times with the kids I coach just if they got cold. And I felt pretty safe in there because they do have uh, big gaps between the tables. Uh, so, yeah, so far everything's open and uh, everything is kind of ticking along. Uh, and, uh, yeah, not too bad. Excellent. And and I think previously you were based in in big sky in montana before you moved to colorado i just wondered how long you've lived in the states and, and what took you over the pond well after i finished racing world cup in uh 95 uh, i got invited to do a couple of seasons on a professional downhill tour in the states i actually got invited by uh the aussie racer steve lee uh, a good mate of mine who has had some terrible health issues recently. He had a stroke, the poor guy. Uh, But back in the late 90s, Steve and I teamed up and we raced on this professional circuit called the Jeep King of the Mountain. And I met an American lady called Laura and uh, we got married. We spent a bit of time uh, in Colorado, a bit of time in London and decided we preferred Colorado. Out here ever since and... uh, we did have some time up in Montana, Big Sky, which is absolutely beautiful. And uh, we actually moved back to Vail for our daughter to pursue her ski racing because they have a very strong ski academy and club here in Vail for racing. 
Right. OK, well, I mean, you mentioned Reese. I was definitely going to ask you about her, but maybe let's uh, just move on to her now. You mentioned your daughter's obviously very into her racing. She has recently joined uh, GB Snow Sports ranks, and I think I'm right in saying she took part in her first Europa Cup uh, events this winter. You must feel very proud. Do you think it's difficult for her following the footsteps of uh, such a successful father? Um yeah maybe uh she you know she's her own person she's very uh strong-willed and uh competitive so you know she just does her own thing and you know she's doing slalom whereas uh, i was a downhiller and my brother was a downhiller so she's making her own way uh in the world and uh yeah she's she's on the up she's she's ranked third in britain now in slalom amongst the women uh, behind Alex Tilly and Charlie Guest, who are our two kind of top performers with a lot of experience. And in fact, when Reese was at those Europa Cups, she was uh, staying with Charlie Guest and her coach, Simone, and uh, she really learned a lot from them. And Charlie was very helpful and welcoming. So she's also racing for her college. She's just uh, started university in Denver. So they have a very strong college racing circuit over here in the States. She's getting into that as well. That's great. Do you give her any race advice or coaching or is that left to the, the, the Vail Club de Sport or the Vail Race School? No, no. I mean, I definitely, you know, watch and give her advice and it's up to her if she takes it. But uh, generally, you know, she, uh, she knows her own, her own tactics now and she's obviously learned a lot but uh, I'm always there if she has questions and uh, you know equipment issues as well because there's always stuff to work on in that area so yeah I'm kind of there in the background as a mentor but her main coach now is really the Denver University coach who is a guy called uh, Andy Leroy he actually competed for the US back in the 98 Olympics uh, and he actually did the British Slalom Championships in about 98 and won the British Slalom Championship title. So he and I have something in common there. <laughs> right. OK. And can you remind me how old Reese is at the moment? She's 19. So, you know, she still has uh, a lot of her career ahead of her. Of course. Yeah. Well, we wish her all the best. Now, you referred to uh, Graham just then. I'm sure... Most of our listeners will know that your younger brother is uh, Graham Bell, and we've interviewed uh, Graham for the podcast several times before, most recently about his appearance on uh, Dancing on Ice. Now, evidently, you have to be very competitive to be able to compete at World Cup and Olympic level. Do you think that sibling rivalry between you and Graham drove you both forward? Uh, it did at certain times. You know, when we were much younger... Uh, he was, you know, quite a bit behind me and always chasing me. So it was driving him. I was chasing, you know, the older boys, uh, the Hill End crew, you know, people like Midge White and Davey Mercer and Scott Dobson. So I was, you know, I was chasing the ones and my little brother was chasing me. Uh, and then once we got onto World Cup, Graham had some injuries, quite bad injuries early on. So it took him a while to establish himself. Uh, and so really in, in the later part of our careers, I think we became very competitive and, you know, one race, one of us would be ahead and then the next race, the other one would be ahead. And, you know, we didn't like being beaten by our brother, but 
it, we didn't like being beaten by anyone and it was probably better to be beaten by your brother than some Austrian that you didn't know. So, uh, you know, we worked together. We, uh, we definitely worked as a team within a team and, uh, we pulled our skis. For example, we had a big group of skis that we tested together and whoever was currently ahead in the rankings list that week got the first choice of the skis. So it was all done very fairly. Right. Okay. That's good. Cause I think, um, the, the kind of resources resources you had, were probably not quite as good as what the uh, the British team are currently able to benefit from. So I guess those skis probably would be crucial in terms of your chances in any particular race. Well, it's funny you say that. I actually think we were better supported in the 80s than the current British team is now. Um, after we sent our daughter over to those Europa Cups I was talking about, uh, we got sent a bill for the hotel and the coaching, and uh, <laughs> right. that was not the case. That was not the case in the eighties. We were supported to go to every race, hotel bills covered, coaches' fees covered. So you know, I think, I mean, back in the fifties and the sixties, it was definitely a rich man's game, and our ski racers were called names like, you know, peers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and now you know we've got a bloke called Dave, so that has changed. Uh, but I do think we've taken a bit of a backward step. Uh, there is not as good support financially for the racers now as we had in the eighties and nineties. I'm sad to say. Right. Okay. Well, that's really interesting and possibly a bit disappointing to hear that. I mean, I do recall uh, at the time when I was following it, Drambui were a big sponsor of the team and uh, they were very uh, visible on in the ski world. And it was uh, always great to go to the ski show and be able to get just a little nip of uh, uh, Drambui. Um, you went to four Winter Olympics, I think. That was uh, Sarajevo 84, Calgary 88, Alberville 92 and Lillehammer 94. I'm guessing Calgary was probably your favorite would that be the case you know I probably have the most um vivid memories of Sarajevo because it was my first you know and and it's just so impressive to be in an Olympic village and uh for a lot of the time when we were racing at Calgary we were not in the village because it was too far away so we were up at a place called Fortress Mountain which uh, no one has ever heard of. And actually it's closed down, but its biggest claim to fame was it was used in the movie Inception. If you see the the winter sequences, that's Fortress Mountain. So we were up in this beautiful place and it was only 20 minutes drive from where the skiing events were. But uh, no, Sarajevo was definitely something special. Uh, The whole country seemed behind the Olympics. We had no inkling of what was going to happen to Yugoslavia just a few years later. It was really, uh, you know, a huge turnaround. Uh, You mentioned uh, at Calgary, you stayed, uh, you didn't stay in the Athletes Village. And I think it was traditional for the British team to stay in the uh, Athletes Village at that time. Was it difficult to get the, uh, the team managers to allow you to go for that Fortress Mountain base? Um, Actually, I don't remember it being a huge issue Uh, We were lucky in that the downhill was early on in the schedule, which it always is. So after the downhill, we were able to move down to the village and and take part in the more social activities. Uh, But no, up in Fortress Mountain, the difficult part was actually getting accommodation. And uh, we were kind of in a changing area that was next to the toilets that they'd put a few bunk beds in just to accommodate (laughs) us. 
And the only other team up there was the Austrian team. So we knew we were doing the right thing. Right. Yeah, that's a good that's a good clue, isn't it? I think the profile, you know, was was very high then. I would call it the, you know, the height of uh, of skiing, certainly probably in terms of the numbers of people going. I mean, I was working for Bladen Lines around that time. They were a massive uh, company, so many people going on chalet holidays. And Ski Sunday definitely had a lot more viewers in those days. I think prior to the games, I read that you even appeared on the Wogan show uh, with David Vine. That must have been quite, I don't know, nerve-wracking perhaps? I don't know. Uh, you know, it was just all a blur, really. But uh, it's actually out there on YouTube if you if you care to look for it. And uh, it, it went pretty well, uh, me and Graham on the sofa. Uh, and the the other star on the show was uh, Greta Skaki, the actress, who, you know, we just were kind of, we, we were almost too scared to talk to her. We were just so much <laughs> in awe of her. Um she just appeared in a movie called White Mischief, which was, you know, yeah. had a few raunchy scenes in it. So, yeah, it was a wonderful time. Uh, Ski Sunday was huge. Um, ski racing was was the only game in town, really, although freestyle was was beginning to make its mark. You know, it was a it was a demonstration event in Calgary with moguls and aerials. And uh, yeah, uh, it was it was a great time. And you say that, you know, downhill was the only game in town, but it must have been strange being in the British team with all the attention that ended up falling on um, Eddie the Eagle Edwards with his uh, attempts uh, at ski jump. Yeah, well, that, you know, that came out of the blue. I mean, we we had seen Eddie. We'd, we'd you know, watched Eddie taking part in the, the New Year's ski jump at Garmisch for the couple of years before that. I think the year before Calgary he had a really bad crash and broke his collarbone and was, yeah, no, we didn't really expect him to be selected for the Olympics, but there was a loophole, you know, because there had never been a British ski jumper, there were no qualification standards set for British ski jumping. So they just took anyone, whereas, uh, you know, everyone else had to kind of qualify. And then the next time around in 92 they made eddie qualify and of course he didn't make the qualification so it was a one-off you know it was uh, a special uh, a special situation and uh, yeah we were just amazed by what was going on you know eddie dancing on the theater of a strip bar in calgary and all sorts of stuff <laughs> yeah. he went home and released a single and it went nearly to the top of the charts didn't it so yeah, uh, just the the media feeding frenzy. You know, if it suddenly latches onto someone, it changes their life. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I interviewed um, Eddie some time ago now, but you know, I'll uh, drop in the link in the uh, show notes. So, you know, you did all the Olympics on the World Cup races, and you mentioned you know skiing with Graham and when Graham was younger. I think I'm right in saying that both you and Graham started skiing at a pretty young age. Could you give us some insight into how and, and where you learned to ski and how you develop your racing skills? Well, we used to go hill walking uh, up in North Wales and Scotland. And our mum actually had the idea that we should go up to the Cairngorms and try skiing one Easter. And uh, we went to Carl Fuchs's legendary Struan House Ski School in Car Bridge and just learned as beginners there. Uh, at that time, we were still living on a Royal Air Force base down in England. But then two years later, we moved up to Edinburgh because we, you know, we knew about Hill End. We had actually visited Hill End already before we moved to Edinburgh. 
and uh, we wanted to be as close to Hill End and the skiing up at Cangorm as possible. And we uh, started racing. I was eight. Uh, my brother was seven. We started racing at Hill End with the uh, Lothian Regional uh, Ski Association there and up at Cangorm with the Scottish Ski Club. And we uh, were able to ski every weekend. We actually had a caravan that we left up at the Loch Morlich campsite, which is a beautiful place. And we'd go up there every Friday night and then come back down Sunday evening. Uh, and every Thursday night we'd be up at Hill End training on the plastic. So we'd skied as much as we could. We even did grass skiing as well, because that was big in the late seventies. Yeah. And Hill End had its own grass skiing slope next to the plastic slope. So yeah, we did as much as we could. And then at the age of 14, I actually went out to ski academy in Austria uh, I was recommended to do it by one of the British team coaches who was an Austrian. But I was actually following in the footsteps of a Scottish girl called Kirsten Cairns, who'd already been out uh, and attended the Schladming uh, Ski Academy. And I went to the Stamm Ski Academy in Austria. And then, uh, you know, a lot of other British racers did the same thing. Emma Carrick Anderson also went to Schladming. And uh, there were many others. Uh, in those days, there were no British-run ski academies yeah. in the Alps. Now there are. So it's it's easier for the British kids to go out and spend time in the Alps without having to get all their lessons in a different language, you know? For sure. So you, at 14 years old, you went out there on your own to the uh, to the Stams uh, Training Academy. And so were you? did you have like a private tutor or something who was giving you lessons in English as well? Or did you have to learn German really quickly? Uh, no, my only private tutor was my friend Paul Hormont from Hormont Travel, who oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, is the same age as me and was in my class. And uh, he'd already been living in Austria for five years, so he was bilingual. And uh, he translated when when I wasn't sure what was going on. So he was a huge help. And, uh, yeah, he still lives in Innsbruck, and uh, we're great friends still. And, yeah, I probably couldn't have done it without Paul. Wow. Well, that's really interesting. Um, he went on to found, I'm guessing, Hormont Travel, the big schools travel company. Is that right? Actually, that was founded by his father, but Paul ah. took it over and then he sold it for uh, you know, a nice uh, chunk of change. Uh, and he's since then started other schools travel companies. And that is still his business. Obviously, it's on a bit of a hiatus at the moment. But uh, yeah. No, he's he's still in the travel business and doing very well. Okay. And did Graham then go out and join you in, in Stams at some point as well? Uh, he did not. He uh, he finished his schooling in Edinburgh at 16 and just became a ski racer full time from the age of 16. Right. And, uh, like I said, he, he was progressing well, but then he had a bad injury, bad knee injury, uh, ACL, and that kind of slowed him down for a while. Yeah, those things do happen. I mean, what age was it then that you made your World Cup debut? Well, that was actually at 16. Uh, wow. <laughs> then the next year, I had an ACL injury. Um, one thing I didn't mention, Reese had an ACL injury when she was 17. So it's almost like a, a rite of passage to be a ski racer called Bell. You have <laughs> to have a, an ACL in your late teens. Uh so, yeah, I, I actually started racing World Cup Slalom and G GS in uh, 81, and I wasn't sure whether I would be a slalom skier or a downhiller. And then after I came back from that ACL, I got some very good results in downhill, and I was kind of 
riding on the coattails of Konrad Bartelski, who is, you know, the, the experienced elder statesman on the team. And I learned a lot from him. Yeah, that's great. I mean, how did you find that step up? Because presumably you started off with, did they still have the Europa Cup circuit? Was that the kind of lead into World Cup? Yeah, I kind of bypassed Europa Cup. I just went straight to World Cup and I was kind of chasing Conrad on the World Cup. But my brother did a lot of Europa Cups uh, when uh, Jimmy Smith, the legendary Jimmy Smith, was uh, his coach on the British team. Uh, but I was with Conrad and the uh, the coach was Connie Rupprechter, the Austrian uh, fun guy, sadly no longer with us. Uh, and, you know, I, I had a baptism, baptism of fire. You know, I, uh, I had a few injuries, but uh, I was also very much uh, inspired by Steve Lee, the, the Aussie racer who I mentioned yeah. earlier, who's just a couple of years older than me. He was making great strides forward and got a top 10 in Kitzbühel. And, you know, I was really chasing him as well. So it was, uh, it was a fun time. And, you know, I probably didn't realize how dangerous it all was but you know when you're in your late teens and early 20s you have no idea and you think you're just unbreakable don't you that's just how it is I guess you do and I guess maybe all you know young men young people may take risks uh, at that age that they wouldn't take but not everybody you know gets on uh, to racing downhill on races like Kitzbühel and uh, and Wengen um, were you training? You mentioned you were, you know, you were lucky enough to benefit from the experience of Conrad Bartelski. Were you training with other nationalities because there wasn't necessarily a British team set up, or did he have a, a British team to support you? Well, we had a British team, and uh, you know there were other downhillers around at the time, like Freddie Burton and Boris Duncan and uh, John Clark, who uh, is better known as the British disabled team coach these days. Uh, but when you're running downhill training, you know, you need a lot of personnel on the hill to, to patrol the hill just to keep the public off it if you're up on a, on a glacier. So we would work with other teams. We'd work with the Canadians and Americans quite a bit. We'd work with the Aussies. Uh, we'd work with the Germans quite a bit as well. And uh, really anyone who would have us. Uh, but uh, we had particularly close ties to the Canadians and Americans because of, you know, the language issue and uh you know we we got some good training and uh we even worked together at the races quite often we would have you know different coaches at different parts on the course so you could video and and watch the race uh and it was uh yeah the the only way you could do it really in in the speed events right that that's great to hear that uh, you know you had uh, that kind of assistance there was that the era of the what they turned the crazy canucks then it was just after, really, uh, Steve Podborski and Ken Reed, they were uh, the same era as Conrad. And uh, in fact, Ken Reed back in the 70s, he used to train with the British team quite a bit. Um, funnily enough, it was actually Ken Reed who advised me to think about sending uh, our daughter to Denver University because his son, uh, Eric Reed also went there and has since done quite well on the World Cup tour. Uh, so yeah, it's a small world, and uh, yeah, the Crazy Canucks were really the trailblazers for the Canadian team. And then uh, my era, there were people like Rob Boyd and uh, 
Brian Stemmel and Todd Brooker following in their footsteps. And then, of course, with the Americans, there was the uh, the unique Bill Johnson who won the Olympics in Sarajevo. He was uh, he's sadly no longer with us, uh, but he was quite a character and he had quite a life. So I mentioned that you took part uh, in over 150 World Cup races. Most people think of you as a downhill racer. Uh, but I think I'm right in saying that your uh, 11th at Leukabad in 1988 is the best Super G result by a Brit. Must be nice to have that on your CV as well. Well, Super G was a new event. When I got onto the World Cup, it had literally just been introduced, I think, in 82. So, uh, you know, I gave it a try. And really, Graham and I were better at downhill. And in the eighties, super G's could vary hugely. Sometimes it would almost be like a slightly faster giant slalom. Sometimes it would be like a downhill with a couple more turns. And uh, you know, that time in Loikabad, I got a little bit lucky. It was a fairly fast course, and uh, yeah, I had a good run. And super G is an event where Britain hasn't really uh, moved on and had anyone in the top ten yet. So uh, yeah, that record is there to be broken. I noticed just, in fact, uh, yesterday we had two young Brits do quite well in the World Junior Championship Super G. So uh, maybe they'll be the ones to aim for that record. Excellent. Well, that's interesting to hear you talk about, you know, the younger generation coming through. We obviously mentioned uh, Reese earlier and we have Beijing coming up next winter. You know, hopefully Tokyo will go ahead, but it might be that Beijing is the next Olympic event on the calendar at all. Is there anything that you're particularly looking forward to watching um, You know, at Beijing? Well, I mean, like any Brit, obviously the men's slalom. Uh, what sure. Dave Riding has achieved is... <sighs> I mean, I think a lot of people don't realize how difficult it must have been for Dave to get to where he is and what he's achieved uh, to land on a World Cup podium. You know, I spent 14 years trying to get onto a World Cup podium and I got, you know, two places away was the closest I got. And uh, it is it is so, so difficult even just to get in the top 30 of a World Cup. When uh, when you realize the, the huge national systems that you're up against with the big Alpine countries, you know, these countries are they, they spend millions on their ski teams, like their, their kind of feeder teams, their regional teams from like, say, the Tyrol or the Salzburg area. These races on these teams are probably better supported than the British team races are. Uh, and it's a whole pyramid, you know, from the ski academies all the way up. And uh, to, to actually be competitive against these nations is, is not easy at all. Um, I have to say, I uh, was lucky enough to coach Dave uh, at uh, Rossendale Dry Ski Slope when he was like 14, 15 years old. And he looked promising then. I mean, he was very talented, had very quick feet. You know, I thought he would be a decent salon skier. Uh, I had no idea. If you told me that he would be on a World Cup podium then, I would have laughed at you. Uh, so, you know, it is amazing what he's achieved. That's great. I mean, we've I've interviewed uh, Dave for the uh, podcast a few times and uh, not only has he done very well, he's a very nice and modest kind of guy uh, about it as well. So I'll be looking out for that one uh, as well. 
and uh, hopefully there'll be other British skiers coming through. You mentioned uh, the competitors at the uh, the World Junior Championships as well. So I'd really like to thank you for your time, uh, Martin. Um, that's brilliant. I really enjoyed uh, maybe a trip down memory lane and finding out a bit more about uh, your racing experiences from the 80s and 90s. I'd like to wish you all the best for the rest of the winter and for Reese as well. And we'll be looking out for her. And um, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Ian. Hi there, listener. Ian here. I just wanted to let you know that you can now support the ski podcast at buymeacoffee.com. This blank season has been a tough winter for all snow lovers. I've spent a lot of time and put in a lot of effort to try and give you an episode every week through this winter to give you your taste of snow, even if we can't go out there ourselves. Now, I do it anyway because I love skiing, but if you do enjoy the ski podcast and you'd like to support us, then you can literally buy me a coffee, or in my case a tea, at buymeacoffee.com. Just go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ski podcast. Thanks very much.